0: Hello and welcome to the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Sunderland. This is a spot where nurses share their stories and their experiences to provide mentorship as well as help nurses and soon to be nurses just like yourself along the way. I hope you enjoy these episodes. Welcome to season three, episode three. I am joined today with a very wonderful student of mine, Maddie Gutshaw. She is a 22 year old senior nursing student at Penn State main campus. She is set to graduate at the beginning of May and will be working as an oncology nurse at Hershey Med Center following graduation. Maddie is also in recovery from an eating disorder and almost three years out of intensive treatment. She uses her story to advocate for mental health awareness, give insight as someone with an eating disorder nursing school and spread hope to anyone struggling. Maddie, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely, thank you for presenting me this idea of talking about eating disorders, which I think is super important. I know a couple people um, who suffer from this disorder and also the importance of things that can happen in nursing school, especially to students, especially our mental health, which is also why this is such a great topic to discuss. And I'm so thankful that you're open about this and really proactive about wanting to talk about your journey. I think that's so incredibly important and brave of you. So thank you very much.
1: Yeah, thanks. My pleasure. I really enjoy doing it. So. Awesome.
0: so tell me about your story and growing up and what life was like for you.
1: Yeah, so I um, basic a basic timeline. I was a gymnast for nine years um, from two years old to 11 years old. And I think I had said in passing at clinical once, I joked about like trauma, um, kind of a joke, but kind of not. (laughs) Um, so I quit gymnastics and then I was diagnosed with, uh, anorexia at 12, just before I turned 13. Um, and that was my first hospitalization. Okay. Um, then I went through treatment. Uh, I was in a period of what I like to call like remission, um, symptoms were stable. Uh, I was just, you know, going on living life until around midway through junior year of high school. Um, I started to like slip again and then I really relapsed hard, um, the end of senior year into my first, Uh, semester of college. And then in the beginning, the very beginning of spring semester, I ended up uh, having, well, being forced to take a medical leave um, to go inpatient again and receive treatment. Uh, And then I was, uh, I received treatment. I spent seven months of 2017 in treatment and discharged and everything and went back to school and tried to just find my footing again and I've been on kind of the up and up since then I did go back in the year following like 10 months later uh, just for a tune-up we called it Mm -hmm. Um, not inpatient or anything uh, just to give me another fighting chance at school so yeah it's been uh, up and down
0: So it's been since you were a gymnast, basically, is what whatever was going on is what you were suffering from. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. So I've had anxiety, like terrible anxiety since Mm -hmm. I was, since I can remember. Um, And that then when I got to like the age of 12, started manifesting in uh, the restriction and overexercising and things like that. Uh, So that's when things went medically downhill.
0: Okay. Yeah. So you were t- talking about symptoms. What were <laughs> symptoms for you that were being triggered? So early on, uh, it's kind of it's
1: kind of hard for people. I think for people to understand because when you think of an eating disorder, you think of um, you know someone wants to lose five pounds and then they want to lose another five and then they want to lose another five. And that just wasn't the case for me. It was very much about controlling anxiety, and I I put together in my head at that young age that I was having these panic attacks, um, after I would eat. Um, and it came when I had the full, that feeling of satiety. So not like over of, but just like the being satiated of, okay, I don't want to eat anymore. I would have an anxiety attack after I felt that. So I did everything in my power to prevent that feeling from coming. And so in the act of doing that, I, um, was hungry nonstop. So, and I, I couldn't let myself.
0: Yeah. That's pretty intense, you know, to have that feeling of controlling such an, such an incredible sense of anxiety. And the only way around it was to kind of like feed yourself just to the brink of feeling. Okay. Mm -hmm. Must have been a really, you know, big mountain to climb every single time you you did it.
1: Yeah. It was very much like I was trapped. Like I couldn't, I had no other option. Like this was the only way I could stand to like live was to do this. So I went through like a six, a really heavy decline within like a six month period before I was hospitalized. Um,
0: but yeah, it, it was definitely scary. Yeah. What was the first hospitalization like for you? So, so, because I don't know anything about what hospitalizations are like, and I'm sure people that may may be suffering from this want to know um, what it's actually like to be hospitalized. Um, Because I think of things, right, as like an inpatient world in a hospital. Mm -hmm. That's that's where my mindset is. And I'm sure that's where all other people who don't know this stuff is probably where their mindset is, or that you're stuck in like a prison type of situation, which I don't think is what it's like. Right. But if you could describe what that hospitalization is like and what that experience is like.
1: Yeah. So when I was younger, I was hospitalized here um, on the old PEDS unit um, for, I was there for five or six days. Um, and I was m- like a medical inpatient. It wasn't like um, a psychiatric inpatient. It was really like to medically stabilize me. Okay. Um, which we were starting to deal with. Um, obviously I was malnourished, dehydrated. I couldn't like regulate my body temperature. Um, At the time I weighed like I was 56 pounds and on my 13th birthday. So there was a concern for lasting damage Hmm. uh, at that point. Um, So it was really crucial to get me medically stable and When you're talking about treatment for an eating disorder, it's necessary to stabilize medically before you can attack the real issue of what's producing all of these symptoms. So that's normally the first step. And that was also the first step when I was hospitalized for the second time. Okay. Was okay, where can we get your body to where it's not going to shut down? Shut down. Yeah.
0: You know, to
1: be able to even start on therapy, things like that.
0: Yeah, that's got to be incredibly tough just to even realize that you need to you know receive medications, feedings which I'm sure were not through an oral route, correct? It was actually. Oh, that's um, good cuz I wasn't sure if you needed to do PPN or TPN therapy before oral.
1: So yeah, it was def- it was a conversation we had to have, but it was very much every day there was the expectation that you need to have this intake or we're going to have another route. So it was my understanding that basically at the time I knew that if I didn't eat my food, I would have a tube down my nose and I would be sent away and I wouldn't be able to see my parents.
0: Um, Is that hard to hear that as a 13-year-old as a going through this?
1: it's scary uh you know I was me and my family god bless them uh were plopped into the middle of this mess essentially I the way that it happened they they took me to my PCP and within two hours we were in Hershey wow um, because my heart rate was 44 and uh I mean they were like okay we have a bed for you wow Um, so you're going yeah. And so
0: I went home, got my stuffed animal, and my mom packed a bag, and we were off. So. Yeah, I can imagine that's probably like you have no clue what's going on. I mean, you probably do, right? So, like, as a teenager, you have somewhat of an of an idea of what's going on inside of your body, but knowing that, knowing what you know now as a nursing student, it's probably a lot different looking back, in terms of where you've gone and where you're at now, right? Because you have a greater grasp now of knowing what a heart rate of forty four means, yeah. you know, at a weight of fifty six pounds, that's got to be tremendously scary to think back on that aspect. Yes. However, when you were going through it, it probably just felt like you know normal life because that's what you were used to. Yes. Um, from you know, time and time again, and so it's got to be kind of crazy to think that you know people were kind of telling you like you have to meet this expectation or you get a tube down your nose. Did you, did you understand, like th- thinking back to when you were that age, did you fully get the concept of what that meant? Or was it something like, well, I know I have to do this, so I'm gonna do this so that I don't have to not see my parents again. Does that make sense?
1: Um, so we've come a long way in the treatment of mm-hmm. eating disorders, even since the, I was hospitalized first in 2011. Um, then I think it was, first of all, the, the quote unquote threat right, that we're talking about. Yeah. It was realistic. It would have, it would have happened. Oh yeah. um, If I didn't complete my meals 100%. And also it was kind of like, I remember just my parents and I all being like, please for the love of God, like we'd want to do this here. We want to do this, you know, as close to home as possible. Mm -hmm. However, the situation has gotten to the point of, we don't know if that's even a viable option. Mm -hmm. Um, It was, scary, but like you said, I, I couldn't really grasp, um, like this had been the way it was for at least six months. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. And all of a sudden someone's telling me that this isn't, this isn't right. And right. I was like, okay, well, wow. Um, and from then on it was, I could no longer go back to that coping mechanism as right. as strongly as I would have wanted to. Yeah. because sure. I, you know, My one, my body couldn't couldn't do it. And my parents weren't going to let
0: me. So. Right. Right. And they, I mean, I'm sure they saw it as, you know, we, you know, this is what's going on X, Y, and Z. And in your mind, it's a normal behavior because that's how you were so used to controlling anxiety. Right. And it's, it's so odd to think about like when I was 13, I mean, I was stressed out, I'm sure for something who knows what, right. That's been a while, but um, anxiety is so weird because I don't think that as you grow up you identify certain triggers of anxiety and what anxiety really means inside of your body because some you know for me anxiety means i got to go run you know several miles right it doesn't mean that i have to um you know eat beforehand or also drink something beforehand it just means that that's my coping mechanism of handling anxiety or handling some stressful situation is going to work out whether that's running a couple miles whether that's cycling and that doesn't really necessarily um, make me think twice about it because in my mind, that's that's healthy for me. And mm-hmm. that's probably the same mindset that you had when, like, before you were hospitalized the first time was, what I'm doing is fine because I can c- control what I'm feeling.
1: Yeah. And also another important part was I didn't know what eating disorders were. Right. So I, I had no social media. I didn't have any friends who struggled. I just knew... I knew, I think I knew that something was wrong, but I knew it, I knew it wasn't supposed to be this way. I remember right. thinking like, I'm tired all the time. I can't, I feel, I see stars like this. I don't think it's supposed to be this way, but I couldn't put the pieces together yet um, to really call it. And, you know, until I got the diagnosis and I was like, okay. And then learning about, you know, recovery and what our options were. So Yeah,
0: yeah. it's really interesting that you say that you didn't have social media. This was 2011, correct? Mm -hmm. Because social media, I mean, I've used it since the the beginning of the world back in 1998, I think. Goodness, I'm aging myself, it's fine. Um,
1: That's the year I was born.
0: Yay! (laughs) 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 Sorry. You were born with social media, like there, (laughs) (sighs) right there. But it's interesting that you didn't use it until later on in life. And that probably was a good benefit to you because of what that perhaps could, could do to someone yeah, in a negative tone. But, you know, you're, you're, you're right. Like nobody was really discussing in newspapers, in blog articles, on websites of what eating disorders were. Nobody was really open about it either. I think nobody was really open about a lot of things back in the day, right? You think about, um, what it means to live your truth that's a big motto that I hear a lot of people say right now and it's so true because there was not that discussion back in 2011 not even two years ago was that a motto of people of what they had right right
1: Right. so yeah and then through it's taken me years to be so open about it because for a very long time it was um some of my family i don't even want to say all of my family knew some of my family knew um my couple closest friends if that knew um and maybe you know i missed a lot of eighth grade so maybe teachers at school knew and like that was it we didn't talk about it we didn't i think because it was so traumatizing for all of us who went through it yeah (laughs) like my parents and i didn't even like talking about it and it's had like part of my healing has been like not blocking that part out like accepting all of this right. like accepting all of me like this oh. is a part of me so you know what can I until I do all of that and open that door I'm not going to feel like my most authentic self so
0: yeah that has that had got to be has got to be had got to be I can't speak right now <laughs> um what you just described probably had to be there we go one of the hardest things to do because even like my life going back to middle school era high school era I don't think I accepted a lot of things I think I just hit a lot of things under the the rug so to speak you know what I mean because you start feeling like shameful about being made fun of you start feeling guilt you start feeling all these feelings that you're like why should I be feeling this way right Mm -hmm. but as far as a healing process goes that's probably one of the most important things to acknowledge about yourself and for you to just say that you know that had to been a lot of work. What was what was it like? Did, did you feel this uh, this incredible amount of of shame at all? Were you bullied as well for having to go through this? Like, were people really mean about this?
1: Um, it was odd because I've always been the type A, straight A student. So when I wasn't going to eighth grade, people wondered and they would ask my friend um, when I would. I like reintroduced school slowly so like instead of five days a week, five days a week, going to a partial hospitalization program for treatment, I'd go four days a week and go to school for a half day on that fifth day, Mm
0: -hmm. and then
1: two days a week and then three. So like re, you know, introducing normal, normalcy back in, Um, I got, and I didn't even have like a good answer for them. Cause I also wouldn't go to gym class. And I also wouldn't eat in the cafeteria. I would eat in the guidance counselor's office with a friend. So I don't think any, I wasn't like a super popular person. Like I had a close group of friends and I, I remember someone asking me, they're like, do you have cancer? And I'm like, no, I don't Valid question though, perhaps valid question, but no. Um, and I said, it's chronic. And they said, well, what does that mean? And I said, well, I go to the hospital and, um, I've been there a lot but it's not cancer. <laughs> so I didn't really have like a good answer. I'm sure that I had rehearsed with like a therapist what to tell people and stuff. But in that moment, when you're like, I remember it was like a group of girls in art class and someone said like, where do you go? And I was like, uh, uh, I don't want to tell you like, cause that's not what, that's not what an eighth graders worried about. Right. An eighth right. grader's worried about like, if a boy likes them, I was worried about like permanent heart damage possibly happening like it's a
0: a different world (laughs) way different world and they're not even going to grasp you know they're not even going to have the understanding of what you're actually going through right because it's it doesn't affect them right you know what i mean and that's a whole different thing because like you said they're worried about their makeup and what clothes they're wearing that day and you're worried about you know what my heart's going to do and if my temperature is going to drop and all these other things that you described earlier Yeah, yeah that's crazy I think middle school for me, I probably would have like hidden a corner myself. I I don't know how things would have transpired if something major would have happened to me, but I can only imagine it would be, I would not have handled it as good as you have handled it, you know? (laughs) Thanks. Mm. Um,
1: It wasn't, it was, I didn't, I haven't been this open about it until after my last two hospitalizations as um, like when I was 18 Mm. and 19 then, but
0: yeah. So it's Speaking of, you know, your kind of most recent treatments, but also get, you know, applying to one of the toughest programs, not necessarily school programs, but just nursing in general is a very tough field to get into as far as a student, especially like when you're starting out and you're doing your BSN, right? Mm -hmm. Very high demand. You almost need to get A's in everything you do, or that's what they make it seem like anyway. Mm-hmm. And then you have a very high expectation of performing very well in nursing school. Mm-hmm. And there's no ifs, ands or buts about it. That's just what the majority of schools demand on their students. Do I think it's fair? No, but it's just what happens. And if I could dismantle it, I would. So talk to me about the process of knowing that you want to become a nurse, because I think that's very important. So why did you want to become a nurse? And what was it like applying to nursing school? and going through all this?
1: Yeah, so at the phase of the application process, you're taking SATs, whatever, that's probably like when I started downhill again. Okay. Um, and it was because everyone who everyone who knows me knows that I'm, I've always been very type A, straight A student in high school. I was on the cheer team. We won championships most weekends. I was um, top of the class. Uh, involved, like college bound. I mean, just that kind of student. And at the time I was dealing with all of this stuff and this, that's when like the depression hit of, Mm -hmm. I would just break down. So on top of the anxiety that I've had for years and on top of me trying to control the eating disorder without being in treatment, um, this depression came as like a comorbidity and just wreaked havoc and really no one knew or understood what was going on behind the scenes. So I looked really great on the outside and I was just collapsing on the inside. And all I ever heard was you're gonna do great in college. Like you were made for this. You you have the academic potential, you have the attitude, you have the work ethic. Like I heard it nonstop of you're gonna do so well. And then not really grasping what you were truly going through. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Not knowing that I was having, you know, crying in the bathroom and, you know, skipping lunch. And I was a mess in high school. Like I was a mess. Yeah, I bet. Um, And it was hard because no one knew. So short moral of the story also to interject, check on the students or the friends who just are ready to die when they get less than a 94 on
0: an assignment because they're probably going through something Um, (laughs) yeah I Uh, think that's I mean I'm gonna just also continue on on that as well because going through nursing school you know I failed out of nursing school twice and thought that I, I I had a mini mental breakdown when I was like 25 I didn't I didn't go anywhere I didn't need to leave home like all this good stuff but I kind of like put things into perspective that, you know, I had graduated with my, with my degree in philosophy and going through two different types of nursing school. So I went through a traditional format mm-hmm. where you do like the daytime and, you know, you meet people and all this good stuff. And you, then I went to like a night program because that's where they wanted to put me in after that. So like mm-hmm. that was kind of more for adult learners that didn't want to go through a traditional baccalaureate bac- bac- program.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I was also diagnosed with ADHD. So now I have a learning disability
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: nobody really knows how to handle this at the time when I was going to nursing school. So then I failed out twice and then I graduated with my degree in philosophy, which, you know, was great. I love that program. But then you move into life and you're like, well, what do I do now? Right. And you, you know, you don't really know where life's going to go. And then you're, you're trying to get into college, you get into college, you're expected to be someone within four years. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's what you were probably told when you were in high school. Yes. Like you have four years to do this. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. <laughs> good luck. Yes. You know what? You're destined for this. Because you know what I mean? And and good luck. That has got to put and put you know, put on me, but had to have put on so much pressure for you to perform so well. Just t- t- to stay at the top of, of your game, but also, you know not break down and not allow yourself to feel these feelings, right? Because yeah. in by doing that, by creating this notion that we have to get a 94 or above, we've also just created the notion that I can't feel feelings. I right. can't feel frustration. I can't feel depression. I can't feel you know a lot of these things I'm going through because this is what I expected my program. I have to show up right. every day. So you make a very good point at your interjection with saying like check on your on your friends that need to get a 95 or above because that's probably like crazy behavior, you know, but it's also behavior that I think we start when, you know, who knows guidance counselors whoever say to us, you're going to be fine. You're going to do so well in this program.
1: It's so easy to brush off. It really is. I had so many people look at me and they were like, are you kidding me? Like you got a 94. Why are you so upset? And to the person, it's a really big deal. And I felt like I was never good enough. I, have been a perfectionist since day one. Uh, And (laughs) I think also it's, it's in good, they have good intentions of like trying to make, trying to make sure that you don't have such high expectations. And I think it also, I think it ends up, yes, you start to understand that, but you also start to understand that like, I'm never going to feel good enough for myself. So yeah, but I, right. I, Uh, started applying and I did get into Penn State uh, main campus and I was surprised but I wasn't I was excited right I've been a Penn Stater since I was born Um, my parents are huge Penn State fans they live in Huntington they lived in Huntington we don't live there anymore I think we've already had this discussion (laughs) I don't Um, think we have but this is great to know (laughs) never never know Bad idea living <laughs> living in anything with kids. Don't do it. No. Um and where what, what was I going with that? Oh, we were going with oh, Penn your State. family with Penn Staters. Penn State uh, it. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. So I got into Penn State. I got into Penn State Nursing, Main Campus, CP. Um, and it was things were good. Uh and then I started, you know, preparing for school. And I think I had the mindset of if I can just get to college, then things will work out. And really things were not. Great. I wasn't heading into college with, you know, a full grip on my eating disorder, my anxiety and depression under control. I was ready to go from day one. No, I was a hot freaking mess. Mm. So I went to school and I, I crashed and burned, um, because because I didn't have the accountability of at home. I have to go home and see my parents every night and have dinner. I, you know, can't drop a bunch of weight because I'm around my friends all the time and they'll notice. So I was under the, um, surveillance basically of my parents and I never wanted to upset anyone. I didn't wanna worry anyone and I knew how bad it had affected them when I got sick the first time and I didn't wanna put them through it again. At the same time, I could feel myself collapsing, the walls collapsing in. So I um, bottomed out. I survived like fall semester. I got straight A's, um, was performing well. Again, on the outside looked fine. On the inside was, I mean, just probably the worst kind of depressed I'd ever been. And then I basically had been following up with a therapist um, at the time and I turned 18. So she couldn't really, you know, at that point, providers hands are pretty tied. Um, and she would say, can you please go to this doctor? And every week I would meet with her, bless her heart. Um, she needs a raise. She stuck with me through it all. <laughs> <sighs> that lady does the most. <laughs> <laughs> um, just every week she would say, Can you please go see this doctor? And I'd say no and I would walk out and see you next week. So finally I said yes, I'll go to this doctor, and I basically went to this doctor like five, five times. I would go see her every week, and every week my vitals got worse, my heart rate got lower, my blood pressure got lower, my weight got lower, I was more depressed. Um, and then finally a day came and she didn't eat kg and she was like, Okay, hey, your heart rate's 46, six. Uh, you've lost a bunch of weight. I need to go to the ER right now and get fluids. And I said, no. And I said, my grandma who drove me to appointments because I was a freshman without a car is waiting in the waiting room, thinks everything is fine. My whole family thinks I'm fine. Like they don't know anything. They don't know that I've been tanking for the last semester and a week because I've hit it all. Yeah. And she said, I think you need to go to the ER and get fluids. And I think you need to go inpatient for your eating disorder. And I said, no. And I walked out. And within two days, I was sent home as a liability to campus. And um, my dorm was packed up. My dad had come and got me. Uh, I was at home waiting for an inpatient bed then. Uh, It was the beginning of January. No, the end of January. Um, I had made it a semester and like two weeks. Uh, before really crashing and burning. And it was hard to deal with because I had been hearing for a, for years that college I was made for college. Mm-hmm. I was going to do so well. Mm-hmm. Like I was an exceptional student. When it, you heard like, that, what did that mean to you? I mean, that just put the pressure on because I knew in my head that I wasn't going to be, I didn't know that I wasn't gonna be able to maintain myself. I right. knew that they didn't know. Okay. They didn't know the whole picture. Yeah. They didn't know the full story. So it wasn't, and quite honestly, I didn't think I was going to make it in school, and I didn't ever tell anyone that because I was constantly hearing how
0: um, how well I was going to do. Yeah, I think that that's so hard because you know when you're told you're going to do so well, you know, it probably meant a whole different thing in, in your mind that than what the person telling you was thinking, right, right? I didn't take they're thinking, a
1: yeah. right,
0: they're thinking during it, A's, it's gonna be great, <laughs> you're thinking, crap, I have to really put myself out there now, like, this is, this is all or nothing, and even when you were describing getting your dorm room packed up, like, and just moving out, like, that's just, as a new college student, I, I loved living in a dorm, I didn't call my mom for, like, a month, <laughs> I called. I called my mom probably three times a day, <laughs> sobbing. <laughs> right, totally different
1: experience, right? But that's my brother. Is was how you were. That's my brother. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then my mom called me. She's like, "Where have you been?" And I'm like, <laughs> "I thought we just went away for four years. Like, I didn't know we had to call you. Like, i so weird to like that is hard. not know that. Now I talk to my mom like f- I don't know four times a day when I'm off of work, right? Oh yeah. So um, it's really interesting to, to hear what what that means for people, you know, and like how they experience when they first step onto a college campus, even like in nursing school um, and what that means. Like, I remember I originally wanted to do medicine for some reason mm-hmm. and um, went and and I think, you know, I probably, perhaps I probably put too much pressure on myself, I don't know. But when it's nursing, when it's philosophy graduated, went back to nursing school and I promised myself, I was like, look, look, y'all let me into this program because I know that I can do this and I swear I'll be a good student <laughs> and mm-hmm. I, I promise I'll do well and like that's when you know I finally felt purpose in myself when I mm-hmm. was able to be received into this wonderful second degree program that I was in and was open about my ADHD in a way that I had never been before and I know it's not you know it's nothing like an eating disorder but for me um being able to openly discuss what ADHD is and what it means and how Mm -hmm. socially awkward I am and how like I really don't have feelings sometimes for things when I should, it's just odd to like go through this as an adult. Mm -hmm. And they were able to accept me and got me into this program called a dream program, which I love, I don't even know if it still exists, but it was called dream and it was for people that had intellectual disabilities. Mm -hmm. And that was the most important thing because once I once I lived my truth, right, and showed the other 17, 18 students that I have this, you know, I'm s i am it's gonna be okay. I'm gonna do my test on my own mm-hmm. and get extra time so that I can be the best for me. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like no one really cared. Whereas before, if I would have done that in my original program, like you got eyeballs on you. Mm-hmm. And that was what I didn't want and what I was fearful of when I went back to nursing school and wanted this you know to, to be just this person you know yeah
1: I definitely wasn't the robot that could do everything 100 percent. and I think that's so much the expect. sorry there's a big truck going by okay I think that's so much the expectation for nursing in particular and it's it's just not the case like my best is sometimes not going to be good enough and you know what I'm still going to graduate yeah
0: so at the end of the day it's not going to (laughs) matter as long as you get your RN license that is literally go ahead sorry right No, go ahead I was just gonna say as long as you are able to achieve your RN license and then you know graduate with your bachelor's I think my original bachelor's was like a 3.2 or 3.4, I don't remember, it doesn't even matter. I got enough, a, a good enough grade point average that I could then utilize it to get to master school, right? Mm-hmm. And then once I once I identified what I wanted to do, I used that and was able to, to do well to then get into a doctoral program, right? But you don't need that if you don't want to. And I think so many people feel pressured to perhaps not only be a nurse, but be more than a nurse. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I know I felt that way, right? People need to go back to school right away. They need to do X, Y, and Z. They need to get to the top hospital. You know, all these other crazy pressures that people put on themselves, right? Right. It's kind of insane to think about if you you think about it.
1: No, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm sure as you can relate, I've been asked, you know, do you want to keep going? Do you want to eat your NP? And I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. And and that doesn't (laughs) matter, right? And a big part of that is I didn't think I would make it this far. Right.
0: and you're doing really well. And for the- first now that day, I have,
1: I'm having a crisis, right? An identity crisis of like, I truly didn't think I was going to make it through nursing school. Yeah. I 100% doubted myself because I, I didn't see anyone talking about having these serious mental health things mm-hmm. and being able to do nursing school mm-hmm. full time
0: mm-hmm.
1: and doing clinical and, you know, keeping everything under control and not self Destructing, yeah. Um, and I think I've told people like, yeah, I didn't think I'd make it this far, and they kind of get, they kind of you know chuckle, and I'm like, if only you knew, like, right? If only truly. you
0: knew how deep this was. <laughs> it,
1: it's been a, it's been a trek.
0: It kind of almost parallels um, alcohol or drug addiction in ways that the, you have relapses, yes. Which I didn't know about until you literally mentioned this today. Um, that you can have relapses and that they are kind of similar to receiving treatment and also to do these um, checkups that, that you also mentioned as well. So what what is the checkup like for you? As far as? Um, so I think you mentioned that you had to go to just do like this checkup before um, yeah. 10 months ago, I think. what What does that look like? Is that talking to someone? Is that receiving medications or anything like that?
1: Yeah. So there are different levels of eating disorder treatment and it's, okay. it goes by acuity. So mm-hmm. I'll give you a basic rundown. Cause I think yeah. it's helpful for everyone to just, you know, hear and be aware of Absolutely. Um, inpatient, uh, is to medically stabilize to maybe get some medications going, um, med trials, weight restore a little bit. Um, also work on therapy. It's in like a group milieu setting in a hospital most of the time. Um, that's where I was, I was inpatient, uh, when I got sent home from college for 64 days, um, it was a little over nine weeks I was there and it w- it was really in- intensive therapeutic and medical stabilization, like work. Um, after that, I discharged, I step- stepped down to residential and that's in more of a house setting. So it would be similar to like a rehab, I think for like addiction mm-hmm. um, where you are living at the treatment center but it's not a hospital it's a house form yeah um, and so there's they've basically uh companies I guess they're companies convert they buy uh, this house and they convert the house from like a bedroom is now a therapist's office um the kitchen is the kitchen uh their basement there's a med room and um like art therapy and things like that so it's really tailored to um, eating disorder treatments in, in particular. Yeah, um, definitely. neat. Yeah, I was there for eight weeks, so I actually didn't step foot in Pennsylvania for more than four months uh, because I was out of state. Um, another good point is that location, like geographically where we are, there are not a lot of good inpatient residential centers um, here. There's a um, a lot of, I have a lot of friends who have had to go out of state to go inpatient or to go to residential as far as California. Or wow. um, I was in Virginia for residential and New Jersey for inpatient. Um, there's just not a lot of good options uh, close to us. Um, uh, after residential, I stepped down to a partial hospitalization program here. There is a partial in Hershey. Um, and I was there until i was ready to go back for fall semester um it put me a year behind Mm -hmm. uh obviously i didn't really have a choice um and i didn't even know that going back was going to be possible Mm -hmm. uh i think people who know me and like that i had to leave and come back i think they think of it as a matter of when i was going to go back and it was very much if I was going to go back um, because I the struggle was how do I put myself back in an environment where I deteriorated so badly before yeah so I'm going back to the same campus I can remember almost passing out in the library I this is the gym where I would over exercise I wasn't eating in the cafeteria like how do you put yourself back in that environment and not yeah. deteriorate again? yeah so that was the main concern, um, besides, you know, nursing school, uh, which is its own beast. So yeah, that was, uh, that was that I started back part-time. I wasn't a full-time student, um, just so I could ease myself back into it and not, uh, I'm going to shut this window and not force anything. And then I did go full time in that following spring. And then I felt myself slipping again. And, uh, at that time before I lost control of my ability to have control, I was like, okay, I know that I need to go, um, get treatment and I'm going to do it now before, like, I know where this is going to end if I don't. And I want to have another fighting chance at, um, returning for the following fall semester. So I went back to partial
0: And that means that you're able to have it here in Hershey too, you know? Right. And
1: I had been to the same clinic since I was 12, 13. Yeah. Um, So they're very
0: familiar with me. Again, bless their heart. (laughs) It's okay. They're they're lifers now. You know, they're in it to win (sighs) it with you. (laughs) They really are. (laughs) And it's nice to have a program like that, that A, still exists, Mm -hmm. right? But that you know that you can trust them and their guidance and whatever you're going to throw at them they're there for you, like, no matter what, I think that's probably more important than anything else, really. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's perhaps, you know, one of the, one of the key things was coming down here for clinicals, so mm-hmm. that you could be close in case you had some sort of relapse or issue where you needed to reach out to someone, you know? Yeah. Um, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say, so, so are clinicals hard for you? In what sense? Like, so nursing school is its beast, right? Mm -hmm. Are clinicals um, like a challenge in certain ways? Have you experienced any of the feelings when when you're seeing people in in like an inpatient setting? So like for me, like when I first met somebody and they're sitting there and they're cognizant trying to get uh, a central line in this person's subclavian, right? Mm and and this lady is at like this floor bed and she's not monitored and this this was years ago 2004 2005 before, you know when when first time i did nursing school and i'll never forget they didn't do any kind of numbing and this lady oh, like God. right and this lady like garbled and choked and just all the horrible things that you just don't are not prepared to see and i so, someone said that i turned white and oh then no. green and then white, and oh. I needed to sit down for a while. Pass out. <laughs> I almost passed out oh. because you're just, you're just. it's a really weird and different environment when you're learning from yes. a textbook and doing case studies and stuff like that to when you actually meet people that need your help. And yes. so uh, you know, for, for me, that, that was my first experience, but I'm wondering if it, if it had any kind of similarities for you when, when you're first in a hospital or in a clinic setting, and you have these thoughts come back.
1: Yeah, Uh, I have had to, and I learned after I got back from treatment, I've had to really adapt the nursing school experience to meet my needs and just be okay with the fact that I'm not going to be able to go through an entire shift and not eat Mm -hmm. like, um, like a six hour clinical and not, you know, have something and part, it's been mentally challenging and also physically challenging because, um, I wasn't like, my body was not strong or conditioned right after being in treatment for seven months and not having, I, in treatment, I wasn't exercising regularly or at all. Um, one, because I had to weight restore. Um, and two, because it was a symptom really for me. So, uh, being at clinical for six hours a day, as you would imagine, then became kind of daunting. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've always been fit. Like I've always been, um, pretty like athletically fit and athletic in general, but it was like this conditioning of like building up those kinds of muscles and things like that. And really just tailoring, um, and being able to deal with, mentally like the emotional strain of it I think yeah. And again that's where my therapist who has refused to leave me um comes in handy <laughs> like she works wonders with we've just worked through it like together I'll, I'll come out of a clinical and I'll message her and be like um can you call me later <laughs> because I've just it just sometimes it hits home it hits yeah. really hard especially yeah. when um the last I wanna say the last like junior and senior year semester clinicals, I think when we're in and we're having uh, heavy conversation like heavy conversations with families and patients. And I just can't help but think like we did have to have difficult conversations with my family. Um, and some of those conversations I wasn't in the room for. Right. Right. Um, so it it everything comes full circle. And especially because I was hospitalized here Mm-hmm. So my first time uh, going, we, were, we go to the med center for lecture and clinical. So one of my first times going to lecture, I really had to um, kind of just be aware that I'm going to remember um, things about the hospital and, things, and be familiar with it. Um, and I just really don't take anything for granted. Because the halls that I walked down, I once couldn't walk down, things like that. And I have pictures in different areas um, of the hospital from when I was hospitalized, you know, at the Nittany Lion or uh, what have you. But it's been a beast. But I think I'm proud of myself, really, for being able to adapt.
0: I'd say, because it's it's not the same being a patient as being a nurse, you know it's just not right you can you can you see the world differently because you're not only worried about what you're going through but you're worried about what it means for your future and what it means and then you have this these memories that imprint into your head all the time about like silly things that i shouldn't i shouldn't call them silly but just things that uh, may seem trivial but are really not because they're such big things and being a nurse you know, I could I can whisk through hallways left and right and like not have a clue about what's going on in in these rooms. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But I think you, you bring up such a good, you know, clarification and also questioning about, you know, what it's going to be like to have these discussions with family members and where you might be able to really grow and also offer people resolve probably, Mm -hmm. you know, and clarification and just, the feeling of it's going to be okay because those things not everybody can do well you know I especially think. for somebody that's that has to have like a like a like a long talk that might be very serious mm-hmm. and I think that you know that might be one of your things that hopefully is a shining light in your nursing practice mm-hmm. right and certainly having your therapist with you to debrief to you know, talk about things probably is one of the most impactful things that you could ever probably have in your back pocket. Right. Because not everybody has that.
1: Right. And I had to really, I still ask myself and my therapist, how am I supposed to take care of people when I can barely take care of myself? Mm -hmm. That was like a big thing in the beginning is I'm walking into the hospital and really it seems like every, all of my peers want to put like the patient's needs first and that's fine. They can do that but I can't put the patient's needs first until I mm-hmm. get right with myself. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of reconciling, like what do I need to do a little bit differently?
0: Um, yeah, that was, that was a big one. Let me bring you in, in into a little secret because I've been doing this for 12, 13 years now. And I talk a lot about this on previous episodes, but you need nurses, not just you, right? But nurses need to take care of themselves first no matter what, mm-hmm. like if if you're not going if you're going through something one day, y- you gotta handle that before you can take care of patients. Right. You know we have to take care of ourselves, and then we have to take care of our coworkers because if we don't take care of our coworkers and make sure that everybody's okay, we can't take care of patients. Right. And you know it's not going to be helpful if you're going through something, and you're just not present in that moment. When yeah. you need to be. I've had co-workers that have broken down in the middle of patients' rooms doing patient care. And I'm like, what the heck's going on? And they just let out whatever they have going on. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like, okay, you need to handle that because mm-hmm. right now you're not being therapeutic for your patient. And that's impacting patient care. And there's no guilt about it, right? But if but if you don't take care of, of yourself, it's it's going to just keep hitting hard and hitting hard and hitting hard. And, hitting hard. and Earlier today, we had the group session Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: we talked a lot about shame and feeling guilt and all that stuff, because there's going to be a lot of times as nurses, when you meet people and something's going to hit you, it might not be a direct relational understanding of what you're feeling. It might just be this awkwardness that you feel. It might just be confusion and you're, and you're not really sure why certain things might happen because it's just the nature of humanism and human interaction. And giving yourself the freedom of forgiveness and forgiving yourself of feeling those things is probably the number one most important step in terms of when you're in like a a unit somewhere taking care of somebody because you're going to have feelings, right? And it's okay to experience those feelings and just to let them out. Um, There's a lot of work done in like the mindfulness area of life that I'm not sure if if you're familiar with but if you but if anyone listens that's another helpful step as well that is free if you have a program that's supporting um, the teacher of mindfulness but I think the program for students is is a little it is inexpensive and then there's also full price programs I think they're like 350 dollars I don't I don't really know I've never paid for the program because it's been offered to me a bunch of times but when I have experienced great loss and I've experienced a lot of loss over the cat, you know, since I was 18 to, to the point where I think I'm going to have to go talk to somebody about certain things, but, um, it's always brought, brought me back to, you know, this life when I kind of just stop feeling shamed about what I'm, whatever I'm feeling, right. Mm-hmm. And try to work through that and do breathing and stuff like that. That's, that's part of my own thing. For you, it's calling your therapist and being like, hey, can you give me a call later on? I need to talk through this. I need to help work this out, which Mm -hmm. kind of is similar, but way different. But it's important to know that you have something or someone that can work through whatever you have going on. I think that's the Mm -hmm. most important takeaway, I think.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. And I think too, like opening up the conversation of like, um, your patient just passed away. Are you do you need to like, you know, we can like sneak back in the supply closet and like talk, right? Just having like a hot second to slow down and like for that to be okay, because that's what I really thrive on in nursing is the humanness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I think I'm going with Cancer Institute is because there's so much emotional support that people that I think I can really contribute to and can really empathize with. And it's it's a blessing and a curse, right? Because mm-hmm. I feel so deeply for patients sometimes and families, um, but that's what I think makes me a good nurse is having having that kind of connection with the humanness of it all.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important that you also know that about yourself And that that's that's where you're going to be most impactful for patient care. You know, um, earlier today, one of of our our colleagues was (laughs) like, I'm sorry, but like neuro was just not my jam. And I'm like, it's fine. (laughs) Neuro does not have to be everybody's jam when they come and experience clinical, you know, in a neuroscience unit. But what it should teach you is that you kind of know where you're comfortable with and kind of what you want out of out of being a nurse and then where you're struggling with and where to work on and then also where your strengths are mm-hmm. and I think and that's the purpose of clinical right is to help right. us identify not necessarily where you want to work I don't care where you work in your life but you need to understand that there are places for people and there are there are mindsets of people and they're just that that's where like they kind of end up and that's where their niche you know kind of Meanders towards because if you don't acknowledge those things, you're you're going to be stuck working on a unit that you don't like, yeah. And the, the people are just not going to be for you, and that's really okay. I can never do hemog nursing. Nope, couldn't do it. I can't really deal with um, loss in that way or really heavy conversations. Mm-hmm. I love treating people. Mm-hmm. I love sick people. Right? I love mm-hmm. sick people. I love. The adrenaline rush i get i, I know, know you love a good sick patient right love a good sick patient <laughs> in ter- but it's different <laughs> anyone in term who's not a
1: nurse anyone who's not a nurse listening <laughs> is going to be like oh my god
0: sorry i, I probably haven't tried to explain it's, this to people it's a medically
1: complex uh patient that has a lot of poss there's a lot that needs to happen to yes. stabilize someone
0: yeah that's that, what you thrive like, on i thrive on that because i love figuring out problems right yeah. i love thinking about things figuring out problems and getting people to think differently about their patient because at the end of the day, like you're, you're not gonna see the case study that you see and it's not gonna be just the same thing. It's gonna be a case study, right? Every patient's a case study, but the humanism brought to it changes things up tremendously, right? The lab values change things up. The family dynamics change things up a lot. Yes. What they do and do not want. Um, where the quality of life is for someone is super important to understand and getting on that level with them takes sometimes years, sometimes months. You know, you never know what what skills you might have. But those things are, are really, really, really exceptionally important to understand about yourself, about where you're headed in life, on your unit that you want to work for. And also, when you're interviewing, being able to talk about those things, about where you think that really lies with you is super important as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And there's something for everyone. Like, I'm figuring that out. Personally, neuro, I don't think I... Would work on neuro, but <laughs> right now it's i fine. not yeah. my cup of tea. It's, not, um, why not be? it's very much yours. And monk is not your cup of tea, and it's very much mine. So, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. and we'll do it. Where we're at. And the thing is, like, if you find yourself passionate about something, the only thing I can really tell people is to just become experts in that. There's mm-hmm. no rush of needing to go back to school to do anything else in your life. Bedside nursing can be your life. It's okay. You can become an expert at bedside nursing. You can know people that way. You can volunteer at very senior levels for things that get paid for it while still maintaining and and being a bedside nurse. And you can do so many different things, you know, like starting a podcast, like starting a blog, like I don't even know what. There's so many unique opportunities that that I think people shouldn't just rush into certain things with. They should just experience things and become, you know, really solid, really good experts at like, whatever they're, they're passionate about, you know, for okay. you, it might be hemock. You might hate it though, but that's okay too. I don't I think you will hate do. it. Like,
1: right. there's always, you know, and that's the beauty of nursing. I think too, it took me ending up in rehab to realize that like, it's okay to sit back and just let things come as they mm. will. I had my whole life planned out, graduate high school, you go to college that following semester, you could spend four years in college. And let me tell you when my butt landed in rehab, that i had to rethink everything of like do i want to go back to college do i want to go back to nursing school do i like what do i do with my life and it turned everything upside down but at the same time it made my vision really clear of um you know i don't have all the answers and i'm just gonna let things flow for now and you know see what happens and i think that's brought me that's leveled my anxiety so much and brought me so much peace yes. is not having to have the next 10 years of my life planned out because I don't know what's
0: going to happen you don't oh goodness so you said so much there that I have have experienced in similar ways because you go through this life thinking okay elementary school middle school and then I'm going to go to high school and then I'm going go to college and my boyfriend in
1: college and then I'm going to get married and then I'm going to have a child right I'm going to have a dog right that's what's going to happen
0: right That's what's going to happen. And then when things just don't do that, it's kind of like, well, what do I do now? You get lost in space. That's exactly where I found myself at 25. Like, what what do I do? And it's like, you just keep living. Mm -hmm. Mm. That's such a good thing to say to people. I've had to explain to so many people and they're like, but I still need to know. And I'm, but you don't need to know. It's fine to just not know and just experience one day at a time because that's how life happens It's one day at a time.
1: Yeah, that's when I realized like, when I went to treatment, that's when I realized I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know that I can show up. Mm, That's all that I can do. So I don't know if I'm going to, I really was, you know, with my parents (laughs) saying I am so grateful for him now, but I didn't know that this was going to be the outcome. Like we didn't know that graduation was ever going to be in my future. And now that it is, it's great, but I didn't I didn't know any of that. All I knew was that I could just keep showing up and that it what's
0: coming will come and we'll meet it when it does. Yeah, that's exceptionally important. And also what you said about, you know, taking a step aside in, in the unit. And what I try what I try to strive for students is that you're gonna feel things on the unit and it's really okay to talk about them in terms of what you've gone through. Because I'll never forget I had a student a couple semesters ago. I don't know how many now and they went through a person passing out on themselves and that was the first time they saw a patient pass out on themselves and almost patient to have pass CPR. out, yeah and almost need to have cpr and, the, and they saw the pulse rate go down and they you know that just was like this adrenaline rush for them mm-hmm. and that's my dog barking by the way <laughs> and they just kind of lost it and and at and at the end of the day like i just said let's talk about what you just went through let's debrief that it, it was in front of everybody, made sure it was, it was okay to, to do that for everybody. But debriefing is such a huge component of it because we don't see normal things. If you think about it, like nothing's normal about taking care of people who are sick, right? right? And so being able to address that, being present in that moment, but then being able to say, I gotta, I gotta take a, a sidestep here for a minute and just talk about what I just went through because this is l- wild. It's the most wild thing I think anyone has ever gone through is being a nurse and taking care of patients.
1: Yeah. And I think I know when I don't do that, uh, and that still needs to happen. Like quite honestly, <laughs> do you remember the last patient I had?
0: Tell me about them. Mickey, liver. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I was just talking about that today because and- we talked about, you know, when you exist in PSCI, so, like this is what happens when mm-hmm. people get really really tremendously sick and I it mean, was really okay to i mean it was what you need to see right because that's what happens that's what it's going to be
1: and it was it was fascinating and in the exact same sentence my heart just broke yeah i mean because i had never been i mean that was the sick one of the sickest guys i'd ever cared for yeah and i was in yeah. that room i did not leave that room for three and a half or four hours yeah I mean, and- we were just working on this guy and and he didn't you know he didn't make it and it was so hard because I you know helped the resident place the subclavian and we were titrating these pressers and I was watching that was the first time I'd ever seen someone seize Mm -hmm. um and we you know we just he we couldn't we couldn't bring him back and like uh it just hit so hard but that's that's part of nursing and We were able to comfort the family and stuff and that's important too
0: it is um it's very important to ingest and take inventory i think of your it might not might not have been your first patient death but of your first patient death or even a traumatic death when you have not seen that over years right Mm -hmm. i say it very easily because i've seen it enough and have a good understanding of advanced pathophys to know that okay this is probably not going to end well Mm -hmm. Or, you know, things that we're doing might not, at the end of the day, help this person. And it kind of brings peace to me now. But I'll never forget, I had an externship at a hospital in Philadelphia. And this person was fine. Let's say I started working on a Saturday. And I went back later that week. And they were just a different person. And then I went back a couple days after that. And the patient had died. And I just was like, I was just like perplexed by that. And I know that sounds really simple of me to say like, oh, this person lived and died, but they were like 40 some years old and they, I mean, y- you wouldn't be able to tell that they were at the end of their life. They were walking around the unit. Right. They were doing fine. Right. And then all of a sudden they're gone and you're just like, well, how, well, how, right? Why? Right. And, and what just happened and, and no one really explains things to you how it happens, right? Cause you kind of just see it and then all of a sudden it's gone one day. And that's, that's exactly how it felt for me. I, and I'm sure it probably felt the same for you when you saw that that day was, well, what do you mean we can't do anything else? What do you mean like none of this book is yeah. working? You the know,
1: morning started with a full code and ended with a terminal expiration. I was like, well, how did we get here? Because
0: right. holy crap, that that four hours just went by like, oh, yeah. Right, right. And it's really good to see that because those situations are, Probably the higher stake situations of what you might see in an impatient world, no matter where you work. Right. You know, if you because for me as a charger, sometimes we have to go to those calls and that's what right. it turns into, you right. know, we have to address those things right away. And sometimes you don't get the backstory of things. You're just kind of thrown into a situation of here we are now. You know, um, I think a lot of what I've gone through has helped when I've learned about diagnoses and pathophys and just keep on reading about things because even things like sepsis have become easier for me after learning about procalcitonin as silly as that sounds things like learning about cell metabolism of cancer have become easier for me to accept loss of those that have suffered from glioblastoma or CNS lymphoma or even just you know random cancers that pop up I still don't understand certain things like why a college or a high school classmate of mine passed away at 29 from bile duct cancer. Like that just, that's just beyond me to understand that, mm-hmm. right? Or most recently I've had a um, someone that I've known since grade school die. And then also a college, a college teammate just passed away. No clue why, right? These things just, those things are things that trigger me. And mm-hmm. I have to understand why, because if I understand the why, it makes it easier for me it to makes do, it more, like, yes, digest. I totally you know I mean? agree. Yes. And I, yeah, and I think that's an important thing to to recognize that stepping into nursing, really okay to not know everything, mm-hmm. and also okay to ask questions, and also okay to um, question why, like all the time. Mm-hmm. But also know that knowledge is your best friend, and reading about things and ingesting all that stuff is really beneficial for you because it's going to help create that level of understanding and the level of expertise that we need, and also just kind of help reduce the anxiety of a lot of things. Um, Because there's so much that goes on that, you know, just getting to that basic level of understanding is like so important. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. My nurse was was so good about it. I was asking her about when I finally, when we finally had a seat and what's done was done. And I was like, okay, so what was wrong <laughs> <And> he's <laughs> so like what happened um so what do you mean and I was like uh I don't know uh what just happened <laughs> and she was like a uh, sepsis and bleeding and she really tried to explain everything and she was amazing honestly yeah through it all she she had
0: a she had a rough morning yeah yes they that person did and I can't there was like what 10 people in that room like all the time I think
1: there were, I want to say, at least three nurses working on this
0: person yeah. on this patient at one time. And then I had my coworker came up to me the other day, and she's like, "Cause we had somebody that was shadowing to get a job on on the unit, and I'm in mm-hmm. there with my gloves on. Yes, I, had I just, remember. I had just put in this this tube in this in this person's rectum because we yep. needed it. This is this was a this was a person that had esophageal varices that the varices bled out. And they were also stooling a lot of just blood clots. And so you need to control that. And because you, when patients are super sick and they require a bunch of pressure support and ventilator support and all that stuff, you really don't want to turn them all so often because they need to just stabilize. And I think this person was getting like pff, three units of blood at, at one point at the same yes, time. Yes, at the same time. At yes. the same time, a couple pressors, fluid boluses, getting a central line. And still had an blood end. pressure of like... 80 over over. 20, basically, like something really low, right? This poor
1: student, you're never looking at this poor student, is mortified, and I'm like, I'm so sorry, y'all. You got the worst of the worst today. (laughs) I'm like helping you do this tube a little, I'm like holding all of the stuff, and you're like being superwoman and (laughs) getting this tube where it has to go. And this poor student's right behind me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yep. And that's exactly what they said was that this that the face that they made was just like. Oh my God. And I was like, well, at least they saw what happens sometimes. You know, if if it's not if if, if it's not for you, it's not for you. You're gonna know right away. I remember looking at the student
1: and it, this was at the point where like we all had gone out of the room, taken our jackets off like gone back into the room like you know that's when you know it's about to go down yeah and this student standing there like I, th- I want to say she had like a clipboard or something and I look behind me and I'm like can you hear that sterile water and she's like yeah and I'm like okay thank you please don't pass out
0: <laughs> oh my goodness don't do that this poor girl I know I hope I hope I, I have no clue you know what happened to them but hopefully hopefully something good you know positive oh my goodness yeah. Well, Maddie, anything else in closing that you want to mention to people out there? Um, it's possible. It's not easy, but it's possible. And it's one day at and, a time.
1: Yes, and yes. you only need hope. Is something that you only need a small amount of in order for it to work. Mm,
0: that's so good. Even if it there's just nice. a little piece. Yeah, that's just a little bit. Well, Maddie, thank you so much for being a part of the Virtual Clinical Podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time of sharing your story and helping other students that may be struggling with this or might know someone that's struggling with this or even have patients that are struggling with this. Well, I look forward to talking to you again soon. Yes, thank you for having me.